Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. Uh, Rashi brings a couple other places in Tanakh where the root latet to give can be understood to mean to give permission to. And we stopped right before Rashi gets to the Yesh Mefarshim. Okay, everyone see that? We're about, you know, four or five lines into that Rashi. I think that's where we stopped. Um, I don't remember who was reading last week, but it doesn't matter. Let's, uh, we'll pick someone else. Uh, Carol. Are you available to read on Yesh Mefarshim? Uh, yes, I'm available. Good, Booker Tov. Booker Tov. Yesh um, Mefarshim, Velo Biad Chazaka, Velo Bishvil Shiado Chazaka, Ki Me'az Eshlach et Yadi, Vehekiti et Mitzrayim, Begomer. Okay, so so pause now and try to translate those phrases first. Okay, uh, so there are those who explain uh, the the not or or if only with a strong arm, not not uh, oh I don't know not because mm-hmm. yeah not not because that I. That I that I have a strong arm. I'm not following this. It's hard, right? So, right. so first thing I would put quotation marks around the velobiar chazaka. Some would explain that the phrase, the last three words, of the verse velobiar chazaka, which I Rashi already said, probably means uh, unless I show Pharaoh my strong hand, should be rather understood as lo bishvil shiado chazaka, not because his hand is strong. Who's the his in this sentence? Counterintuitive. Uh, Pharaoh? Pharaoh, right? Some would say, don't read these last three words as meaning he's not going to send you out unless I show my strong hand, but rather read it as he's not going to send you out. And the reason he's not going to send you out doesn't have to do with the fact of his power, not because he's so strong, right? Lest you think that that this is like a battle of equals, me versus um, Pharaoh. And the reason why he's not going to release you is because he's so mighty. That's not the reason. Lo biad chazaka. Not because of Pharaoh's strong hand. Kimeaz. Now translate that phrase. Okay. Um, because from... Um, uh, or as soon as, or when, when I will send my hand, and I will smite or whatever, hit hit the Egyptians, etc. Correct. And if you look ahead, that is the next verse, right? So um, if you uh, look at the verse we're about to read, verse twenty, all Rashi is doing here is quoting the next verse in the Torah. We'll read it slower in a moment. But what does the next verse say? Vishalachti et yadi. I will extend my hand, and I'm going to, you know, smite Egypt. And we know what's going to happen. At the end of that smiting process, it's going to be very clear that Pharaoh did not have a very strong hand and had no way of preventing that those smitings. And since I, God, know that that's what's going to happen, and now Rashi brings how Uncleus translates um, our, our phrase, the Lobiyad Mitargaminan. Mitargaminan uh, oto velo min kodem dechiliyat takif. Good. So uh, that's know. Uncleus' translation of the last three words of our verse, velo biyada chazaka, and and Rashi says, Uncleus translates in a way that makes it clear that the, 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 the hand strength we're referring to here is not God's but Pharaoh's. Below mean, and not because of Kadam, as a result of, Dechele, that his power, whose power? Pharaoh couldn't be God's power because God's the one speaking. Takif is strong. Right? So God is, we are in God's quotation marks. The word itself in our verse, does not have a possessive pronoun. Velo biar chazaka, without a, without a strong hand. 
Onkelos translates that in Aramaic with a possessive pronoun. Chele. Chael is strength, like Eshet Chael, a woman of strength or valor. Chele, or, or even like a, a Chael. A Chayal is a soldier, someone who shows weaponry and strength. But the yud Hey ending in Aramaic is his. So my uncle is translating it as not because his strength is great, that his has to be Pharaoh's. Okay. Um, um, read the last phrase, which is a which is like an interesting side note, and then we'll come back and, and investigate what Rashi just said. Mishmo shall Rabbi Yaakov Barabi Menachem Namarli. Okay. This is is this sort of uh, as this was told. He telling his sources. Yeah, it's so oh. interesting, right? What like one out of every what a thousand comments, Rashi, you know, gives us a bibliography. Right. And Rashi usually doesn't even quote the Midrashim from which he's taken these things. Like the, we rely on the 20th, 20th century annotators to, to find the Midrashim. And we see those in the footnotes. And here Rashi wants to be Malamed Schut, as we would say in Yeshivish, right? To, to bring honor and merit upon the person who's the origin of the ideas. There's a concept in the Talmud, Hamalamed Beshem Omro Mevit Hagula, that if you share something in the name of the person who taught it to you, you help bring the redemption, right? We quote, we quote our sources. And all of a sudden, the end of this comment, this last thing, right? Reading Onkelis that way and reading the Lobiata Chazaka, not the standard way. I learned it, it from the name of Rabbi Yaakov, the son of Rabbi Menachem. I have no idea who that is. And I think most, you know, maybe there's a, a subculture of Rashi scholars who know who it might be. I certainly don't. And it's interesting. It's tucked in here. And it's not even, it doesn't even seem to be, um, like in that category of attributed to Rashi, but probably not Rashi. This appeared, um, right? We don't have, I was looking at the the other book. We don't have a footnote on this, that it's not in the, uh, oh, so in, in the in, footnote 97, in Tfush Rishon, Menachem ben Rebbe Yaakov. So it was just written slightly differently, but we've got this name in the original manuscript uh, of Rashi. doesn't really add much, but it's an interesting insight into how Rashi operated. Okay. Let's go back. Carol and, and whoever, what is being added here and what's your reaction to it? Well, can you, can you, I got lost in trying to translate. Can you, can you summarize? Cause I, I is it that Unclus is saying the opposite of what Rashi was? Uh, Rashi is bringing a counter understanding to this phrase, which goes against like our instincts as to what the phrase means. And then Rashi says, and Unculus understands that way as well, right? So to simplify it, Rashi's first comment, what does this mean? It means that God is, that Pharaoh is not going to let you out unless I show him my strong hand, right? That, that um, um, it's going to be, listen, both of these comments are, it's going to be because of me, Moshe, that you're going to be released. But the way I understand the verse is it's my strong hand that's going to make it happen. A second way of understanding it, which with, with the same basic meaning in terms of the story is, he is not going to let you go, and not because of his might. That's not the reason that he's going to, that, that, that this story is not going to um, develop because of Pharaoh's might, but because of my might. Lest you think that Pharaoh is going to flex Pharaoh's muscles and Pharaoh's strong hand, that's what's going to keep you in it's not because as the next verse shows as soon as i bring any kind of uh, attack against him pharaoh's weakness is going to be exposed and eventually he's going to let he's going to let you go don't think that it's pharaoh's strong hand that is playing any part in this okay so you say no no matter whose strong arm you think they're talking about the end result is the same which is correct god's correct. strength okay correct i don't think but so, someone can push back that this yesh mefarshim is really changing the contours of the story or even the sermon here. It's just changing the, 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 the attribution of whose hands are being referred to in those last three words. Unless someone wants to pipe up and say, no, this is actually a subtly different way of understanding the, sto- the story. So let's pause here. Um, any comments or reactions to this last way of, un- this la- second way of understanding that verse? Going once, Renee. Remember, Renee, that I I happened to see your hand up, but only because your 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 screen was in front of me. So normally, uh, do the, raise the digital hand so I can make sure I see you. Go ahead. So 
Um, I was just thinking about whether the mighty hand, it could be either a literal mighty hand or it could be a figurative mighty hand. Say more. Well, like physically mighty or mighty in the sense that emotional strength and, and fortitude that he, that he has the ability to mentally change someone's opinion or yeah. to deal with someone mentally. Yeah. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Um, I, I think the, I think the, the, the mightiness can operate on, on several levels here. I also, the, the more I, I, I think about this and, and, and I, if I'm, I'm about to steal this, the thunder of any of the people whose hands are up, I apologize. In the first way of understanding it, the focus is on the, um, the plagues that are going to come God's strong hand. In the second way of understanding it, you could under, you could read it this way that the reason why Pharaoh is not going to let you go is because I, God, am going to control even that part. I'm going to harden his heart. He's my marionette or he's my, my puppet. I'm the marionette leader. And I'm in control both of his hardening and softening. I'm in control of the softening by sending the plagues. That's my Arachazakah. But don't think that the hardening is because of his strength. The hardening is because I'm the one doing it, which in some ways makes God a more powerful actor in the story. And as we'll be discussing for several months now, is a challenging thing to swallow because this notion of God being the one um, offering the punishment, but then also causing the sin, as it were, that earns the punishment is one of the most confounding theological problems of anyone who studies the Exodus story and wants to study it from a moral perspective and wants us, our God to be a moral God. So it may be that the second read is don't even attribute the moments in the story where he's not letting you go as being connected to some greatness in Pharaoh, I'm controlling that part of it too, possibly. Rashi is not explicit there, but it's possible. Uh, I see Joel Tova Berry. Well, I was just going to say that, I mean, this explains the, necess- the necessity of, of doing it this way. Um, he's basically saying you can ask nicely all you want, but it's not going to happen. So I, I'm going to do bad stuff, but you know ahead of time that I'm doing this only because I have to. Hmm. I'm trying to enter into that, Joel. You're saying that this this comment almost expresses a divine remorse for about for what's about to happen. No, he's saying it's necessary. I'm doing this; it's necessary. But you, you, now you know, you know why we have to do it this way, uh-huh. and you know we we can't we can't try the soft the soft sell. Uh huh. And you're saying that's an explanation of the first Rashi's read on Lobi Arachazaka or the second? Yeah, you said that the two the, the, the two uh, reads really don't change the, the narrative. But Rashi's read, the first read, explains the next the next sentence. Got I'm it. gonna do this and this is why I have to do this. Got it. Got it. Great. Tova and then Barry. Um I was thinking that there's sort of a plausible psychological uh, read to it because Moshe's been engaged in this surreal, impossible to comprehend exchange with God, really his first encounter with God, personal encounter with God. And against that are is his lived experience of the power of Pharaoh and that court. And it's almost as if God would be recognizing that hesitation at the back. It's like, I know what you're thinking. It's not going to be because of Pharaoh's strength that uh, he's going to stop you and, and really addressing the, um, the, the reaction that fair, that Moshe might've been having based on his lived experience. Fascinating. That's really fascinating. Tova. And that, and that adds a lot of body um, to the second one of Rashi's comments. That did not occur to me at all. Thank you for that. Um, Barry and then Larry, Diane. Well, I'm reading here that God is acknowledging Pharaoh does have a strong hand, but uh, God's hand will restrain that. So uh, Pharaoh's strength will have no play in, in what's going to happen. So by mentioning Pharaoh's strong hand, it shows that that you might think, since Pharaoh's a powerful person, that you think it's Pharaoh's power that's the one who's operating this. But actually, it's not because of that. It's because, you know, to quote Mel Brooks, there's something bigger than Phil, right? I'm, I'm no, no. bigger than Pharaoh. 
No, excuse me. I, I, I just think God is acknowledging that the Pharaoh does have a strong hand, uh-huh. but that hand will be restrained. Uh, his Pharaoh's strong hand will have no play in this. Yeah. But, but right. he does have a strong hand. Right. Um, so we're, we're like, we're doing subsurgery on that second comment of Rashi and even on the Uncleus when it Torah says, and not because of his strong hand, even that can be understood two ways, which way one, don't think he has a strong hand, even though it'll look like he does, or he does have a strong hand, but this isn't happening as a result of that strong hand. And you're in that second category. <laughs> Great, Barry. Uh, Larry, Diane, then Joanna. And then I actually have a question off topic for this group that I've been, um, a logistical question. I want to not forget to ask it. So I'm going to, I'm going to borrow 40 seconds of the class to do so. Larry, Diane. So we've been, we've been on this, uh, beginning of this, we've been on this chapter for so long. I feel like I'm repeating my, my perspective. I have to keep going back and reading from the beginning um, because we had these parts where this was the, 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 the quote within the quote within the quote. Right. So I don't think that a careful reading supports what I'm going to say, but if you imagine that God, the character, okay, it's God, the character is talking to Moshe and they are conspiring to what they're going to do when Moshe goes back and he's telling the elders What's going to happen? Now, at some point, if you read it in one way, you'll say he's no longer talking to the elders. God's talking to Moshe about what's going on. But I think that God is actually talking to Moshe about what he's going to tell the elders that they're going to do. And he's warning the elders that we're going to ask to go out, but it's not going to be so easy. That, that there's going to have to be a strong hand. So it's not that he's explaining himself to Moshe in my possible reading of this. It's that he's giving Moshe the argument or the tools to be able to convince the elders to go along with his long scheme, <clears throat> the long plan, and that it's going to be, uh, it's going to take the, the plagues. He hasn't enumerated the plagues, and we're jump, I'm jumping ahead, not giving anything away because you all read this, because the reward is there. And what's the reward is they're going to go out with all this wealth. Wait, they, they eventually leave? so so i don't know whether i can really can support this even from the reading of the text let alone the um uh whether it makes any sense in terms of the 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 story but i think that i think that that there is a point to be made that god is 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 god the characters explain to moshe how he's going to convince the elders and that's what this is all about First of all, Larry, I, I love your style here, the humility of saying, I don't know if the text I'm interpreting supports the interpretation I'm about to give, but here it is, which is in some ways the antithesis of, of so much intellectual discourse these days, which is that I'm certain that what I'm about to say is the only possible way of understanding the situation, so I appreciate that. I actually think that you're, you're, you're right-ish in the sense that if you, if, you, if you track the quotation marks, we are indeed in the place of the sentence where God is telling Moshe what to say to the elders, right? The the, uh, the personal pl- pronouns here are plural, right? In verse 19, I, well, here, I, singular God, no, that he will not let you plural. This is not God speaking to Moses and Moses representing everybody. This is, this is, <laughs> this is what God wants Moses to say to the elders in God's name. So yes, you, you can read it, and I and I and I like that little little step aside. That's really the way. It's like it's like a step aside. Yes, God, God, the Kaddish Baruch Hu, But in some ways, on a literary level, God is it's 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 kind of weird to say this, but we, we read we read this on several levels. Is a character in the story, right? God is the author of the story and a character in the story simultaneously, right? That's that's the deliciousness of studying this text as religious Jews. Who, who who want to find uh, divine import inspiration in these words and also are um, reading it as a very nuanced and layered literary text. And I think that both of those methodologies are, we come to, honestly, it's exactly what the, what the Chazal, what the, rab- what the rabbis were doing. And their theology was much, much more complex than, than 20th century Haredi Judaism, I think, suggests. So yes, God, as this is, we've seen as God, the character um, not conspiring with, but strategizing with Moshe for how to get the elders to agree to this plan. So, yeah, I, 
despite your your having debunked your own theory before you articulated it, I think the theory has some merit. Uh, Joanna, I'm I'm wondering if um, I feel like that the beginning of verse twenty one supports this idea of that we're talking about Pharaoh's hand. So, in other words, in verse nineteen, God is saying. Um, and so when you leave Egypt, it won't be by Pharaoh's strong hand. And then sort of like in my mind, there's like a little ellipsis, like a few missing words before verse 20. So like, let's backtrack now. Let me tell you how this is all going to unfold. I'm going to send all these incredible wonders. Um, and then eventually what's going to happen is in verse 21, um, I will give grace or kindness of this nation before the eyes of Egypt, right? So at the end of the day, after all of this, when it comes time to go, the Israelites will be seen with grace in the eyes of the Egyptians, and therefore it won't be by Pharaoh's strong hand that you will leave. Uh That's also subtly different, right? That lest you think that not only in the non-leaving, but that's because of Pharaoh's hand. On the leaving, don't think that it's because Pharaoh somehow used Pharaoh's authority and musculature to send you out. It's actually the reverse. There's going to have been a softening of the Egyptians' experience of you, um, that you're, and you're going to leave with grace, and Pharaoh's strength will have had nothing to do with it. Yeah. Um, I think that, that also is, is possibly built into the second comment of Rashi, which I remind you, we wouldn't have missed had he not said it, right? We didn't know that Rabbi Yaakov bar Rabbi Menachem said it. And the first one and a half comments of Rashi in this verse were actually rather satisfying. Ah, that makes sense. Ah, the, the wording is strange. Villo, we read it as without or unless, and we would have been fine with it. And now we've seen all these other possibilities uh, in divide, dividing up the verse. Uh, pause one second before I, I call on Barbara, because I just want to not forget this. Um, we are moving all the time at the shul uh, as we think about next steps and what kind of things happen uh, in person. Uh, we're not there yet, but I'm, I would be interested in a straw poll and, and sensitive to the fact that not everyone on this Zoom is here in Los Angeles, right? We're so thrilled, Joanna, that you're a part of this experience and what I'm about to offer, you can't take, a, you can't, uh, take us up on. And I know that uh, Elon's about to leave Los Angeles as well. If I'm making up a date on June 15th, we permitted um, not just davening in person, but some classes in person. And we, and we, we were going to do it in a, in, a, in a big space, like the sanctuary. If, uh, if we said on June 15th, I don't know what day of the week that is, um, Rashi class was going to resume indoors, potentially masked or based on the vaccination status of all the people who might come, potentially unmasked, right? Still offered on zoom because we're going to be hybrid for quite some time and maybe even forever in all the things that we do. Um, I know it changes the experience for the people on zoom. Like when there are people, when, I, when I'm, when I'm teaching to the people in the room, right, I'm not focusing on the camera. So we'll, it'll be an adjustment period. This is a long way of asking the question. Straw poll, how many people would show up in the sanctuary at eight 30 for a class um, in a month from now, raise your digital hand so I can just see it quick, quickly, if you would. Okay. So, a quick look. Could I just less ask, than half. Tova? I just, yeah. yeah, I just wanted to say uh, it's not, I would prefer to, to come together again as a physical class, but being masked or separated in the sanctuary is not the same as sitting around a table in the chapel. Uh-huh. So if, when, when and if we get back to that situation, I'd very much like to come in person. But honestly, if we're sitting separated in I the big see. sanctuary, then I'd rather do it on Zoom. It feels more personal on Zoom. Uh-huh. Sue, you're, so, you're, thank you, Tova. Sue, you're waving yeah. your fingers. Yeah, I, I want to agree with Tova. If we're, I'm, I'm sort of in that space. If we're, if we're all vaccinated all together, I'd like, to, I, I would be much more enthusiastic. I don't want to sit uh, 100 of anybody wearing a mask in the sanctuary to talk about this stuff. I would be all the more all on board if we were come together to study them uh-huh. and, and not be mad at each other. I, I support that also. Uh-huh. I actually love it, not having to get dressed, race over to the school, come home. It, it saves time to me 
So I, I'm enjoying Zoom, and frankly, I love Zoom, not just enjoying. Barbara, we do not need the details of how dressed or undressed you are right now. I'm dressed. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so I, certainly in this first phase of reopening, we're also going to continue to do Zoom and live stream. And we're talking kind of big things in institution as we imagine really changing the contours of the size of the institution and trying to imagine members of the community who are not necessarily local, but who like the Torah and the davening that we offer here. It, but as I said before, it does change it because like even Daily Minion now, we're now doing Daily Minion hybrid Zoom and, and in person. And I, and I know that for the experience for the people who are on Zoom, it's a little bit less intimate and direct because the people leading are not looking into the camera. They're, they're, they're dealing with the live people in the space. But it's doable, but it's different. So if I reframe the question, how many of you would come once we can be in Pilch Hall around a table unmasked? And let's say that the, the, the county permitted that in, in six weeks. I don't know if we're going to get there yet, but let's say the county did. How many of you would be comfortable doing so if everybody were vaccinated? More hands. Okay, interesting. All right, that's, that's, that's helpful. I think we're getting close. I think we're not there yet. I think we're getting close. Um, we're now in the yellow tier, and I think that things are opening up even more, and I just wanted to know. Th- th- and, and the reason I'm asking is this would be one of the first things we would try because it's a regular thing, um, and, um, and, and, and it can happen in actually several different rooms in the institution. Pilch Hall, by the way, is not available until at least the school year is out because the school is kind of commandeered every uh, room in the building except the sanctuary right now. And we're thrilled with that. We're so glad school can take place. But right now, like we, we, we couldn't offer our old room until uh, the school year is over. Okay. Um, Thanks. You can lower your hands and let's go back to Barbara. You actually had your hand up about the content. I just actually have a question that's bothered me for many years. And that is in this sentence, God is telling um, Moses, that we're not going to, the Jews, the, the Hebrews are not going to get out right away. It's going to be a fight, basically, to get out. And we, he doesn't say how long it will take. We know that it takes 10 plagues to get out. But why doesn't God, what did God want? Why doesn't God just want to let them go? What was that? Is there anything that, that you can tell me in, in what rabbis have talked about? That that the reasoning for not letting them go right away. Yeah, I mean that's the question, right? Tomes have been written about that, Barbara. Right, Th- this is our liberation moment, and our and our birth story, right? And our birth story is plagued, pun intended, perhaps, with very painful theological um, notions, which is that our our assumedly an omnipotent God toyed with uh, a Pharaoh and with Pharaoh's people when we can imagine that God could have done it without any of the plagues or with just one. It's problematic, right? So it's hard for me to synopsize literally thousands of pages of rabbinic material on that. Um, if you actually want a, a, a rather good synopsis of it, there are one or two places in the Eitz Chaim Chumash um, in the Drash section you know, the, our Aritz Chaim has two levels of, of commentary in each page. Above the line is, is Pshat, and below the line is Drash. And the Drash section was, I think, curated by Rabbi Hal Kushner. There are a couple of places on the on the phrase um, hardening of hearts, where Rabbi Kushner brings together in his wonderfully um, 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 brief style a couple of the dominant rabbinic positions here. Um, you know, one of the, one of the ones that come to mind and none of these will be completely satisfying. So as I offer them, I don't want you to think I'm offering them as like the extension of, of my dominant theology is that God needed to have a people who once freed would have as many reasons as possible to believe in and trust and have awe for the new Pharaoh, right? Because because God is the new Pharaoh, just a benevolent Pharaoh. God is a new master. Uh, we, we've, we've discussed this many times. I've given many sermons about this, right? They did not emerge from Egypt into the wilderness with no 
bindings. They emerged from Egypt to Sinai where they got rebound, right? When we wrap our tefillin on our fingers, we're, we're, it's, it's a wedding ring, yes, but it's also bondage. It's shackles. It's, we, we, are, we are obligated to God. And so some people read that the, at the expense, the horrific expense of the Egyptians, that the spectacle, the 10 plagues, was less to punish Pharaoh um, and more to, um, to create an impression upon the Israelites. So when they get out into the desert, they, 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 they remember who took them out and what it looked like. And that might invite within them a certain fealty, a certain fear and a certain obedience, which of course we know didn't work so well, right? It didn't work so well because the golden calf vitiates that, 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 that understanding right away plus the complaining onward, but that, but some people attribute it that way. And that adds yet another, you know, problematic theology, right? That uh, in order to create more, I don't know, subservient um, servants of God in the desert, some innocent Egyptians had to suffer. That's problematic as well, but that is a midrashic thrust. This was done for the, um, the, the, uh, the experience of the Israelites watching it. Wow. Look, at what our God can accomplish. When we refer to ototu moftim, the signs and the wonders in the paragraph leading before for Micha Mocha, we're no longer rhapsodizing about the, the, the Egyptians having been cowed and dominated. We're rhapsodizing about the Israelites looking into the sky and seeing, you know, the fireworks saying, ah, that's our God. Okay, I'll, I'll follow that God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I'll go where that God's taking me to go. Something like that. And there are many other streams as well. And it's a problem. Elon. For me, the more comfortable way to read a verse like this is as a prediction as opposed to as a fact. So, for example, I might say I am going to uh, lay down a sacrifice bunt and move the runner over to second. <laughs> that is likely to happen if I successfully do it, but it's not just because I say it like that, it is not a fact, right? So God is saying I'm going to do this, this, and this. And the result will be this. Uh-huh. Okay. It, it, it's to me, maybe that's not a uh, acceptable rabbinic interpretation, but to me as a 21st century Jew, that is a more comfortable interpretation. Very interesting. Uh, and we both know it's not an acceptable Yankee metaphor because they haven't put down a, a successful <laughs> sacrifice bunt all season. But, I don't uh, think they put down a successful sacrifice bunt since Phil Rizzuto, but that's uh, – <laughs> Um, uh, and, and we don't know how to win one of these stupid overtime, uh, uh, baseball games in the 20, in the year 2021, where, where baseball gets turned into a exhibition after the ninth inning, but enough of that. Tova. Um, perhaps a, a slightly kinder spin, but possibly not is if we understand it, not just as aggrandizing God to drum home that this is somebody that you can indeed you must that you have follow but also to unwind however many centuries we're going to say it was of Good. being imbued with an egyptian culture and a semi-god king that has for generations impressed on the jewish people that king's power and that that needs to be unwound that it isn't just sort of malicious cruelty but something that has to be begin to be uh, un- unwound within the psyche of this people. That's wonderful, Tova. The Rambam writes a lot in Mora Nebuchim, not, not specifically to that point, but adjacent to that point in the sense that um, the people that God wanted Israel to become eventually needed to get there through many different stages. It's almost like a different way of reading the Dayenu, that e- each, of these, each of these stages of liberation was not only kind of um, geographically and co- on a cause- causation level getting them to the next stage, but but bringing them out of one more layer of their e- Egyptian immersion. Um, and he certainly says that about the whole sacrificial system, right? You know, the Rambam is almost saying, almost, almost, almost saying that even had the temples not been destroyed, eventually God would have burst through the heavens and said, your transitional object of sacrificing animals, not sacrificing children, but sacrificing animals is over. And what I really want is worship and good deeds. It's easy to say that, you know, once the temples have been destroyed, I don't know if, you know, how, how many Rambams were saying that while the temple still stood, like, oh, this is just a temporary thing. But this idea that the, that the, 
that the enslavement for generations, you know, what's this, this notion of like memory embedded in DNA, in DNA that you, that the next generation in some communal way is born with, 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 with memory in their DNA of experiences they didn't actually have. We have a version of it. Like we, we, we remember, we remember the pogroms and we remember mm-hmm. the, the show. even if we weren't there, um, certainly the, uh, the African-American black experience in America, right? They, 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 they remember enslavement and they remember Jim Crow uh, and therefore to um, move an entire population well past that, it's going to take several different steps. Yeah. So that, that is a, a sophisticated way of understanding it. It still leaves unresolved perhaps how we're supposed to feel about what the Egyptians, particularly the innocent Egyptians, experienced so that God could move the Israelites through those steps. And we'll never resolve that. Uh, Larry, Diane, and then Barry, and then we'll read the next verse. I'll be brief because I know this is a digression and really is the entire class, which maybe you'll give. But since revealing uh, theologies, perhaps God is saying, I'm not all powerful. And in fact, I have things I want to have happen. But there's a cost to what I want to have happen. Hmm. And there's no certainty, as Elon was saying, that I'm going to lay down the bunt. Just as there's no certainty that you're going to be impressed by what I'm doing and follow me forever. In fact, Hmm. I know you won't. Hmm. I could go on and on and on. Because, as you know, Rick and I read the the prophets in in the Haftarah Plethora. And that's a constant battle of, we, we we, we haven't gotten there. And I can even relate it to, Modern times, you, you achieve your independence, whether it's the United States or Israel, and you think we've finally gotten it. We haven't, because it's a process. So God is saying, you know, it's going to be a process like everything else. That's all. Great. Thanks, Larry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave that uncommented upon, but that's a wonderful contribution. Barry? Um. Continuing in the same vein, but I'm really struck, Rabbi, by your comment. Um, so uh, at, at your comment that uh, God knew the temple would be temporary and it would be removed from us. But this removal is not a surgical removal. Going back to God's strong hand in Egypt, bad things happen to people when God's hand comes through. Bad things happen when God came through Egypt at the night of our leaving. Uh, it's, it's an uncontrolled bad thing. Um, and uh, so when it comes time for our temple to, to our sacrifices to stop, it, that's and other times in our history uh, where we have been destroyed and have to begin anew. How many times in our history this happens? Um, it, it, this is a, a terribly strong hand, not necessarily nice, yeah. but true. Sorry about that. That's okay. Thank you, Barry. Let's read the next verse, which we already anticipated because Rashi quoted it uh, as Carol was translating the previous Rashi. But let's actually now read it slow. Uh, just as a heads up, Rashi is going to be quiet for the next, I think, two verses. We don't have a Rashi commentary until verse 22, and then he has a long comment on 22, which we'll not get to today. So, um, Sue, I don't think you've read for, uh, in a while. Do you want to read verse 20? Read it, if I can find it. Verse 20. Right after 19. <laughs> the shalachti, yeah? Yeah. The shalachti et yadi, the yukheti et yisraim, the whole niflotam, niflotai, Asher and I'm going to be persnickety and mildly correct just the syllable that you have emphasized because yeah. in Vav Ha'ipuch, as the um, Trump shows us, even though in modern Hebrew it would be Vishalachti, it's Vishalachti et yadi v'hikati et Mitzrayim because the Trump tells us which which syllable to emphasize. Okay, translate. Okay, and I will shalachti I will. I would think that it's send, but it's not really send, right? I will. I will. I'll do something with my hands. Right. And um, I will smite the Egyptians with um, with 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 all wonders, with all kinds of wonders. 
and that I will do to them, that I will perform near to the, near them. Mm-hmm. And after that, I will like I will Yishalach with him. I'll I'll be sending you. He will send you because the yes. subject of Yishalach is, is third person singular, and yeah. the he is the Melech Mitzrayim, but unnamed. Right. He will send you. He will get rid of you. Right. So, but if, but if that's Yishalach, so Yishalachti, Yishalachti. Um. Um. There's something sending in there, but I, I, in English, I don't seem to make it work right. Yeah, so we'll look at some translations uh, and see how many of the translations use the same English verb <coughs> to translate both uses of the root lishloach in this verse, because you properly hesitated to figure out how to actually literally translate vishalach yadi. The second yishalach is... Um, is more clear. He will send you. And in, in, in the English word send works there. The English word send doesn't work as cleanly in vishalachti yadi. I will send my hand. We know what he means. God means I will extend. I will, ex- I will, I will display, right? And the verb is the exact same. I will do something with my hand, the very hand that I referred to, maybe in the previous verse, right? Depending on who is yada chazakaz being referred to. I will smite um, Egypt, right here, it's not the Egyptians, it's not Mitzrim, but Mitzrayim. I will smite Egypt with all of my Niflotai. We should also linger, I'm like pointing out what we're about to linger on, on the root of Niflotai and what Pele, Pe, Lamed, Aleph really meant in biblical Hebrew and how not completely accurate it is to translate it as wondrous things, um, which I will do in in its midst, right? So the kirbo is singular. So is that Egypt's myth, midst with Egypt being singular, or is that Pharaoh's midst? And then afterwards, a singular third person, whether it's Egypt or Pharaoh, will send you. So let's do this. Let's start with some translations. I'm curious to see um, what some of the translators do, particularly with Niflotai and with the two sendings. So I will start with Everfoxes right in front of me. So I will send forth my hand. So he adds a fourth, which is easier to paint a picture of. And I will strike Egypt with all my wonders. So he translates Niflotai plainly as wonders, which I will do in its midst. After that, he, so the he now is Pharaoh, will send you free. So he says the first shalach is send forth. The second shalach is send. Uh, anyone have um, JPS, the Eitz Chaim in front of them? Barry, you have the JPS? Uh, yeah. Uh, J- oh, sorry. I- I'm I'm not looking at JPS. Uh, oh, so read, read the one you're looking at. It's uh, my uh, uh, send forth my hand and Pharaoh uh, send you out. So send forth and send. And whose translation is that, Barry? Um, sorry, I thought we had a great time. Uh, this is uh, uh, Avram Davis, Nachum Kornfeld. Um, okay. Just show me. Hold Shine, the Scheinfeld. The Scheinfeld. Hold that book up just so I can see which one it is. Got it. Okay. Uh, is that Matsuda? That's the Matsuda translation? Uh, I believe so, yes. Okay. Um, uh, I, I just found uh, JPS, so I'll read that one to you. Um, so I will stretch out my hand. Very JPS-ish, right? Shalach doesn't mean stretch out, but the verse somehow does mean stretch out. I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with various wonders, the Chol Niflotai, various wonders, and I will work upon them, which I will work upon them. So even the Bikirbo somehow gets translated to upon them. After that, he shall let you go. So send appears no times in the Eng- in JPS's English. Larry, 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 Diane, do you have your few? I just wanted to add my comment that yeah. my translation is wondrous deeds. Wondrous deeds, okay. So the the R scroll is very similar to Everett Fox. I shall stretch out my hand, and I shall strike Egypt with all my wonders that I shall perform in its midst. And after that, I will send you out. So there, stretch out and send. Alter one maybe the only time in 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 uh, translational history that art, JPS and the art school agree. Go ahead. So um, 
Alter makes a point about the shalachti, shalachti, and shalach. The same word at the beginning and end of the sentence. So he intentionally uh, translates it as, and I will send out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders that I shall do in his mid, in his midst. Ah, the Kibo, his midst, okay. And afterward, he will send you out. And his comment is, send out my hand. A more idiomatic rendering would be stretch out, but it is important to preserve the symmetry of God sending at the beginning of the verse and Pharaoh sending at the end. Yeah. And God, translate, you, translation is hard, isn't it? It's so hard. Wait, wait, you hear Maria Kaplan. Kaplan. Okay. I will then display my power. But, but then he has a note and it says, literally, I will send forth my hand. But he likes, I will then display my power and demolish Egypt with all the miraculous deeds that I will perform in their land. New sentence. Then, bracketed, Pharaoh will let you leave. It's just a remarkable thing when you compare translations, right? That, I mean, what Arya Kaplan wrote is a beautiful sentence and, and certainly conveys what we know the verse is trying to convey, but it's almost a paraphrase. It's almost like a, it's almost like a, a, a rewrite, right? Mm. By the way, um, one of the, I mentioned before that there are several places where Harold Kushner's commentary on the Eitz Chaim gets into some of the stuff that Barbara asked about. One of those pages by, not really quick coincidence, but it is, is right on this verse or um, on this page. So if you have the Eitz Chaim Chumash, at some point you can look at page 332 on verse 20. He has a lovely um, piece on it. It's not the only place where he does it, but um, uh, it's one of them. Uh, Rick, and then I see your hand, Barbara, and then I see Renee. Yeah, hi. Um, I like the Bikir Bo um, within him is the way I want to translate that because it's inside Pharaoh um, that a lot of the battle is going on, whether to let them go or not. And um, um, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but um, um, I, I have a couple of Egyptian uh, spell books and, and books on religion. And and one of them um, had the thing that Pharaoh used to uh, pray to their God, his gods for strength and to make his heart strong. And, um, they had a whole thing about the heart being weighed when they died. I think I, I'm pretty sure I told you guys this, that if, if, if the heart was pure and it was light as a feather, then he could go on to the afterlife. But if he had any sins more than a feather, then, um, he was doomed to hell, whatever they thought hell was. But, um, anyway, um, God working on with, with Bikir Bo within him, it was his struggle. Um, should I be hard hearted? And what's the best for my people uh, for Egypt? Is it to keep these slaves and, and go on or is to let them go? And <clears throat> he was always praying for strength. Um, I got that from uh, Rabbi Jack Reamer when I was a kid uh, to attribute that idea. It's not mine, but uh, the hardening was, was a self-hardening and he was praying to his own God to give him strength to stay strong. Um, so I like that the Bikir Bo emphasizes that or, or reinforces it. Yeah. I also tend to think that the Bikir Bo is suggesting something a little more intimate than some of these translations are making space for, right? It can't because Karev is such a great root close to internal. You denude it from its power when you just call it in its midst or as JPS does well, that I will work upon them. Uh, Karev is closer in than that, right? Whether it's as far close in as you're describing, Rick, or, or something else. Um, that I, I think that root is um, um, is, in, is inviting a more intimate look into that scene. Uh, and and um, th- that is also connected to bringing sacrifices, korban and bringing things close. Um, so there's something else going on there, too. Right. I don't know. Right. Uh, Barbara, were you next? Well, I just was going to read what Safaria said. Please. Which was, so I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with various wonders, which I will work upon them, which you just commented upon, that that doesn't quite fit with the um, Bikir Bo. Right. So Safaria use, Safaria's translation is the JPS translation. So Safaria is most often going to match what we have in the Yitzchayim. Yeah. Well, and, sorry, that, and that too was an interesting choice by Safaria to figure out which is going to be their standard English translation of the Torah. Renee and then Tova. 
Um, Saperstein says, I shall send with my hand forth my hand and I shall strike Egypt with all my wonders that I shall perform in its midst. And after that, he will send you out. So send, send forth and then send. So we've had, we've had several that have gone that direction, send forth and then send. And of course, we have, we have several that have neither send, that don't mention send in either of the two places. Tova? Um, I just have to mention it because it's, it's different than anybody else, but Silberman chooses, seems inappropriately to translate it as, I will smite the Egyptians rather than Egypt. And then with all my wonders, which I will do among them, even though it's Bakir Bo, hmm. and he really seems to be going, because Mitzrayim, it's Mitzrim if you're talking about Egyptians, and Bakir Bo is not them. So I don't know if he's relying on, in fact, it's going to be individual Egyptians who will be, and therefore he's translating it that way, but it's odd. Yeah, there are several things that can be going on there. The One is is reading Mitzrayim is Mitzrim, which Mitzrim could be written with one vav or with That's true, two yeah. yeah. The Bikir Bo is harder to read anything other than singular. Yeah. But then let's also think about we have a nation. Like, I don't know, I'm remembering yeah. Cold War rhetoric, right? We're going to, you know, when we, when, uh, when, when we're going to destroy Russia or when, you know, when they're going when, when they're going to nuke America, mm-hmm. they're using the singular to describe the cat- catastrophic loss of life, life amongst the actual citizens of the, of the polity, right? Like it's not that mm-hmm. the country is going to be destroyed or it's going to be destroyed because of the individual suffering within it. So I wonder if, if that's Saperstein. I wonder yeah, it's if it's Silberman. Silberman. I wonder if it's, just playing with this notion that when you say that I will, um, I will smite Egypt, what you mean by that is you're going to smite Egyptians. You're not, yeah. you're not striking the palace per se or, or the concept, but the people who make up the country. Right? Um, okay, um, let's let's call it because it's nine twenty nine, um, and uh, next week we'll uh, we'll figure out if there are any more comments on this verse. We'll read 21, and then we have a, a wonderful verse in uh, uh, verse 22, which finishes chapter 3 of the Book of Shemot, and a very long Rashi on Benit Saltem. If you want to take a look ahead, you certainly can. Um, and hopefully that question I asked you in the middle of class will become more relevant soon, and we'll be back studying together. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.